hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Well, that right there was a weekend, kids. A sporting weekend of fun and frivolity, unless, of course, you're a Leafs fan. Then again, you got to be used to this stuff by now, don't you? McAuliffe Rubinoff here with you. I mean, Leafs under fire six games in. Some say it's six years in. Some say it's almost 60 years in. Whatever. Don't worry. Rogers hometown hockey tonight. National audience against your former goalie, Freddie Anderson. Red Hot Hurricanes facing the... Kings of the Troll in Carolina, who I'm sure won't let any of this bother what they're about to do, and apparently have enlisted the services of David Ayers to be in the building tonight. If you don't remember the name David Ayers, allow me, Jesse, allow me, Canada, to quote from the book of Steve Dangle. True story, worked for the team. Tomato, tomato. True story, that was 51 seconds into the video. <laughs> I love when, it, I, it, when he goes up as a, an octave is when he's really upset. Like, there's another level that he hits that's pretty rare, mm-hmm. and the David Ayers, obviously, I should have. Uh, I should have listened on Saturday night. I didn't have the time to listen on Saturday night, but if it was anything what we, like what we just saw, can we cue that up one more time, Matt? Uh, Leaf fans in the David Ayers territory right now. They just lost <laughs> to a 42-year-old pony driver who works for the team! <laughs> Gold. Gold, Jerry. And as if that weren't enough, a story about the Raptors, Masai Ujiri, and this company. Other than that, it's fine. Everything is fine. What a time to be alive, any Toronto sports fan. No worries, Leaf fans. It's not like Zach Hyman has more goals than Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, and Nick Ritchie combined. I'm sorry, what? He does. Never mind. Leafs are just one of three games tied to hometown hockey tonight. In fact, Ron and Tara, not Laura, Ron and Tara called Tara Laura last week because, well, like most, I can be a moron sometimes. Maybe more than most, I can be a moron. Ron and Tara, they're in Lindsay, Ontario, and have been uh, a festival of hockey over the weekend. That festival will continue tonight as hometown hockey will host Leafs and Canes, Flames and Rangers, and the War of 1812. Okay, just a tad overstated. It's the Capitals and the Senators either way. Ron and Tara, not Laura, will drop by and discuss all three games and the festivities in Lindsay. Despite plenty of talk elsewhere, DeMar DeRozan and the Bulls are in Toronto to face the Raptors. DeMar's legacy in Toronto is one of the topics of conversation that we will engage with you and Eric Smith on. Eric will join me next segment. And Week 7, National Football League concludes tonight with the Saints in Seattle. Rich Ginn, little Monday afternoon quarterback, comes your way second hour, too sweet to be sour. But as always, speaking of too sweet to be sour, we start with Jesse Rubinoff. And first things first. What's the word, Larry Bird? Ooh. That's a new one. First things first. It's actually not. 
Rose, and I stole it from Ted Lasso. But whatever. Ooh, right. I Second time that I've used it with you. First You didn't hear no, it the first time because you're true. zoned out into your work. That can't be true. I, ju- I just picked up on that this time, so it, I guess maybe I was off that It might have been Friday. Not a chance. Thursday. I don't think so. We can try and find it. What do you but... mean you don't think so? You don't think that I remember what I said on the show? Is that what we're doing here? Don't you Jesse think you, Rubinoff. Don't you think you can misremember? Jesse Rubinoff. This Roger might, Clemens. Misremembered. Do you remember when you wanted to bet me on the Chiefs winning the AFC? Okay, long, I know you were season. hot. I know you're coming off a 2-0 week Thank against you for that, the spread. Craig. Yeah, that's nice. You're buttering me up just to bring me down again. I appreciate <laughs> but it. But <laughs> I don't know if you should bet me on this one either. You shouldn't have bet me on the Chiefs. Don't bet me on this one. Uh, guys in the control room. We record Anytime this show. Anytime you want to give me a heads up that he didn't say it, that would be fine. <laughs> but it's okay. Right. No, he said it? Okay, I'm getting the word that he said it. Okay, okay. so that means. What's the word, Larry Bird? That's two, yeah, that's two bets that I'm Give me the scoop make. of Darren Poopa. Let's go. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, okay, let's begin on the ice, more specifically with. Oh, boy. The Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, they lost 5-3 Friday night against the Sharks. And I don't think that early 6 p.m. Eastern start time helped them at all because they followed that up with a 7-1 loss to the Penguins on Saturday. Two wins in six games. Fans are already losing their minds. Should they be losing their minds, Tim? I'm not going to stand here and get in the way of fans losing their minds because it pays the bills. Uh, Fans getting very passionate about teams is something that I love and that we live on here at the show. I will say this. This isn't six games in. This is a pattern of behavior that Leaf fans feel like they are seeing in their team and want more pushback than Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza, right? Like, they are watching what they have seen over the last few years touted as potential and waiting for them to come through on that potential. And from my vantage point, it looks like this is a team between personalities. Like, what are they? Are they the skilled squad that is absolutely going to run you out of the barn? Or are they a little tough, hard-nosed with a little jam, sandpaper, whatever the hell else you want to call it? But what I do know is I don't know that I've ever seen the fan base of a team be this irate this quickly. And I just saw the Montreal Canadiens get off to an 0-5 start. After mainly uh, after making a Stanley Cup run, like have you? I know we put it out there to the Tim and Citizens, mm-hmm. and before we, I want them. Listen, you guys can write out. I called them Tim and Citizens, didn't I? That's five dollars. The in friends. Jar. It's only five dollars. Yeah, know. it's five bucks in the jar. Yeah. All right. Only so five. five bucks in the jar. Friends of the show, mm. write in. Tell us what you think. Even if you're a Leaf hater, if you're a Leaf lover, if you have lost the love in your Leafdom, write in now because I want to know why. The ire is so strong. I don't know if I've ever seen We're going to have Gord Stellick on the show later. And Stellick was in it in the middle of the 80s when it was a, a, a dumpster fire. Yes. I want to know if he's ever seen it like this after six games. Because to me, like on Saturday night, Leaf fans were as pissed as I've ever. Like they were in 18-wheeler mode. After six games. After six games. Yeah. But you answered your own question because you said it, it's a trend. It's, it's picked up exactly where it left off in the playoffs. And well, but that's the, an, that's the answer to it. But they are that pissed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no question. I'm getting the answers right now. Well, why don't we fire through a couple sure. here? Because they're good answers. Um, we asked, basically, uh, has your opinion of the Maple Leafs changed 
after having a couple days to marinate with the loss to the Penguins, a team that was missing Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Carter, mm-hmm. Rust. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the Pens uh, so were missing. If, if you weren't paying attention, the Pens were missing basically the best players. So. Yeah, it was the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Penguins, yeah. essentially. Uh, so Blackheart says, um, no, Blackheart. there is no more excuses <laughs> for running it back or believing in this group anymore. Management needs to stop doing the same thing and expecting different results. If they can't figure that out, get rid of them and bring in people who can. But they haven't been bringing, like, the believing in this group, this group has changed mightily since the start of, like, it was all skill. It was four first lines to start, and then they started adding little pieces all over the place and losing significant pieces. I mentioned Hyman. Kapanen was on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, Mm -hmm. there have been major, Freddie Anderson they're going to face tonight in Carolina. Like, I don't know what you mean by running it back with this group unless you're just talking about the core four. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. But that's not what that email, what that tweet says. Give me the four guys. Tell me that it's your four. Tell me that you don't want that skill on your team anymore because there's a ton of teams that will take it. Right now? Keep going. Uh, TJ says, I hope this comment is used in June as an, oh, they doubted our run to the finals promo. But right now they feel like a core group of a team that once was promising to bring something special to the city, letting down a city and a blindly loyal fan base. I mean, you are asking a lot of a fan base that hasn't had many wins, figuratively or literally, in the postseason for a very long time. And this fan base has been extremely loyal since 67. And if you're hitting your head against the wall and doing the same thing over and over and over again, I can understand why that would be frustrating. Oh, without a doubt. But what you have to do is separate the two, which is impossible. Like, you have to separate, do you have good players that you believe in versus the franchise has basically been Kaka in 67? Yes. Uh, Carlo says, I'm still trying to digest the playoff debacle that was. One thing is certain, the Tavares-Marner contracts have moved into, into the untradeable commodity space at face value. That's a quarter of the team's salary cap. Do you remember that July 1st day, got the picture, John Tavares in the Leafs betting. Leaf, Celebrations. Leaf Nation went crazy. It was like we got the guy and it always Never happens. Never get the guy. It always happens on July 1st where whether the person is deserving or not who's at the top of the free agent class, when your team gets him, it's automatically you're celebrating it. Right. And then I would say maybe 50% of the time, a couple years down the road, the fan base is not so happy if you haven't actually won. There's no doubt that Dubis banked on the cap moving and then got hit with a global pandemic and a flat yeah. cap, and that's why you see all the spackle in and around their core four. Like, what do you, what do, you do now? If, like, if most of what people would say is you have to trade one of the core. Mm-hmm. But Mitch Marner hasn't scored in 14 games. You're going to trade Mitch Marner after six games when he hasn't scored in 14 games when his no, value is at the trading, absolute he's, low? He's not trading anybody yet. No. He's going to give it a, a quarter of a, a schedule before he does anything. But I wouldn't be surprised if they keep, continue to struggle. The only way you can shake up this team is to trade one of the core four. Uh, Blair says they'll rip off five wins in a row and the bandwagon will be full on again. Freak out yeah. after 20 yeah. games. We had this last year. Yeah. Like literally. We went through this in my basement <laughs> on the show where the Leafs had a little bit of a dip and it was panic, panic, absolute panic in the middle of the season. Then they rattle off a bunch of wins. They win the division easily going away. Everyone's feeling good. And then they go to the playoffs and blow a 3-1 lead. Does Sheldon Keefe look extraordinarily exasperated to you? Because there was a clip that was, was going around on social media a couple days ago 
where he had a back and forth with a reporter, and it, it seems like he is almost at his wit's end a little bit here in the early going because we know that he he thought last year, last season, it was all about the playoffs. Yeah. Last season. And now you come out and you're struggling already. So what is he what is he supposed to do? I mean, they so you're talking the about the back and forth with Terry Kosha? Yeah, yes. Okay, so this is Friday night after losing to San Jose. It's not a, not an appropriate question. There's nothing about Richie's game that's lazy. He's, he's finding his way. Just getting to the um, when he was benched after the Carlson goal, there wasn't much on effort during his part to cover that man. It just seemed to be, you know, the Carlson goal from the blue line. Again, it's not an appropriate question. I, I mean, it's a turnover. It's a turnover. He's trying to hold the lady. Mitch is beat on the inside, and the puck goes on the other side. I think we're reaching there. Yes, this way, okay. You can not reach? No, no, what led to the benching then? Why did you put it down saying he's I think you're looking at it the wrong way. You know, I, we, we get scored on. I, the, it was more to me about the fact that that line wasn't going today. It's, you should be asking as many questions about Matthews and Marner today as you should be, Rich. This to me is that, like, I know that this went viral. Mm-hmm. I saw it go viral. Sid Sixero tweeted it out, it continued to go viral. Mm-hmm. He's just deflecting for one of his guys. Like, you're going to bury a new guy five games in? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, you can't bury a new guy five games in. Uh, you're right, but the, the part that was interesting to me was the bringing up the, the Matthews and the Marner at right. the end there. That was the part that caught my eye, because I, I agree with you. The beginning of it was, and the middle chunk of it, was just defending Richie, and, and that's what he should be doing right. with a new guy. But the Matthews and the Marner was interesting to me, because I think in Sheldon Keith's case, he's really trying to figure out a way to get these guys going. Like, how do you push and pull with those well, two guys might, and get might, them going? We might have an idea tonight. Uh, they've been pulled and not pushed. Yes. Uh, the lines tonight appear as though, uh, at least uh, earlier today, as though Matthews and Marner have been split up. And it looks like Tavares will play with Marner, Matthews will play with Nylander, and uh, Kerfoot goes on the wing with Tavares. And, and this is, like, listen, when Jason Spetz is your leading zorg, they've had the chances. Look at the analytics. They have outchanced, outnumbered. Correct. They have done all the things that they need to do to win games except score goals. And last time I checked, you need to score goals to win games. So here's an opportunity. Carolina, red hot, 4-0 to start the season. Freddie. Your old guy, Freddie <laughs> Anderson, looking pretty damn good. Uh, this is another opportunity for the Leafs to do that thing that they do. The, the problem is, eventually, and I don't know how many times I've said, there's two phrases that I use over and over again. One, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And the difference between good and great is consistency. And the Leafs have not been consistent since getting this core four. Yeah, they've big. shown flashes of absolute brilliance, mm-hmm. and they've also pooped their pants. Big response tonight. They need one. against Freddie. Yeah, they need one. Uh, okay, let's go to basketball. It was a bit of a mixed bag for the Raptors over the weekend. On Friday, they bounced back from a disappointing season opener by going into Boston and pumping the Celtics by 32 points. But back on home court on Saturday, they lost to Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks 103-95. What are some positives you saw over the weekend? I have a feeling where you're going to go with this one. <laughs> Scotty Barnes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Scotty Barnes vibes. Uh, positive vibes. 25-13 and 13 on 11 of 17 shooting. Uh, after what was a tough outing in the opener. It was a tough outing for everyone in the opener. And 
Like the jump shot hasn't looked all that bad. I think he's five of 17 in the, but what he's doing is finding creative ways to score. And that is the most interesting part to me. Now, OG Ananobi had himself a half against Dallas. And I mean, a, a real good half. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that from OG, they will compete and they will scratch and they will claw. And I'm not saying he'd get 40 points from OG Ananobi. Scotty Barnes is already better than you thought he was going to be, I think. And OG Ananobi, as the man, is pushing a little bit here. And if he settles in, then they can be a 500 team without Pascal Siakam. And that's saying a lot. Now, they've lost both on home court. It looks like a decent win now that you see what Boston's been able to do since. Uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised so far, but I think OG Ananobi, we're showing all the good shots here from OG Ananobi. Yeah. It hasn't <laughs> all point. been good. Good point. Uh, tell me if you, if you agree with me here. Um, it seems like for the Raptors, to win, they're going to have to play a certain way, and that means forcing turnovers, great defense, yep. working really hard. Because that, that was the, the M.O. against the Boston Celtics. Yeah, that's the mantra. Hammered the offensive Even glass. Gary Trent Hammered Jr. It. Yeah, and Gary Trent Jr., I don't know if you watched that game, yeah, yeah. but he played really well defensively. And the knock against him was that he couldn't defend. Mm-hmm. And everyone on the floor defended, and it turned the game that, you know, like shooting-wise wasn't close into a blowout for the Raptors, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's tiring. It's hard to do in back-to-backs, all of those things. But that's what they, you're right. That's their mantra. That's what they have to do. And Gary Trent jumped out at me. So when you said, when, as soon as you brought that up, it clicked in. I should have added Gary Trent's defense. Yeah. I don't know if he did it against Dallas, but he did it against Boston. I'll tell you that much. No question. And just that, like what, what Scotty has been able to do here, he's now the third highest odds, or lowest odds, I guess, to win Rookie of the Year. Didn't start that way. He was plus 1,400, I believe, uh, to win Rookie of the Year. And to think of what Raptors Nation, uh, if I can call them that, or yeah. we the North Nation, think of what the reaction was Everyone's on draft a night. Everyone's a nation. Why, why is everything a I nation? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know why I brought it started that up. started with Red Sox Nation, and then everyone became nation. So tacky. Yeah. So tacky. Uh, but to think of where we were as, like, a, a Toronto fan base and the reaction to that draft night. Like, nobody wanted Scotty Barnes to be drafted except the Raptors management on that night. Yeah. Like, you can go back and look at the tweets. Nobody yeah. wanted it. And now you see exactly why Masai Ujiri yeah. and Bobby Webster were all over it. He brings tools that not many prospects bring to the table. Right. I think there was a guy on this desk telling you that he did things that you can't coach. Yes, totally. Repeatedly. Feel. Like a feel for the game that yes. not many people have. Yes. Uh, DeMar in town tonight, by the way. Yeah, the legacy of DeMar DeRozan. We put it on our uh, on our Twitter account, and maybe we can go to a few of those tweets when sure. we talk to Eric Smith a little yeah. later on in the show. But a uh, very interesting return for DeMar DeRozan as a member of the Bulls now. Yeah. Like, it's Crazy. still there's still some tugging at the heartstrings, but his legacy is a little different than that of Kyle Lowry, but there's still a lot of love in the city for DeMar and what he was able to do and how much love he showed for the city. I think the city of Toronto, and Canada for that matter, when people show them love, they show it back. Yeah, always mad love when DeMar comes back to Toronto, no doubt. Uh, Okay, let's stay with the Raptors for a second. This morning, a report from the Toronto Star came out with their sources claiming that Edward Rogers actively fought plans to keep Masai Ujiri as head of the Toronto Raptors this summer. Ultimately, Ujiri resigned with the team in early August. So I ask you, Timmy, what is your reaction to this story? Well, I guess we know why it took so long. Yes. Like a bunch of us, Sid, myself, last year, like kept asking why 
this was taking so long. This could be a decent explanation as to why it took so long. Now, obviously, this one's a little stickier for us than many. That said, I've always said that we'll have the conversation no matter how tough. Now, I know that there was a lot in that report for people to digest, and some of it didn't go down all that well. But let me be clear. I don't think letting Masai Ujiri walk would have been a smart thing. And in the end, it didn't happen. Like, Masai is out here playing chess, kids. And there are a lot of folks out there playing checkers. Always. And I'm not shocked to hear executives balked at playing Masai $15 million a year when the replacement in Bobby Webster would have been at most, what, like $2 million a year? I mean, p- people thought the Knicks were crazy when they paid Phil Jackson $12 million. What's Shanahan making? Like $5 million? I'm not shocked that they balked at $15 million. Here's the other part. I think Masai has made himself worth it. Hell, we sang a song on this show about how much we believed in Masai. But I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm smarter than those business folks involved in all of this stuff and the ivory towers in and around here. But there's an interesting part of all this to me, and that's about the Jays and MLSE, that the hiccup on Masai reportedly led to an idea of trying to pull the Jays out of Rogers and creating a new company with MLSE that was just sports. Now, that's interesting. That has some legs. That's been rumored in the past because, let's be honest, telecommunication companies don't really need sports franchises, and the stock of Rogers or even Bell would never reflect the purchase of the Jays at $137 million that is now valued at like $1.6 to $1.7 billion 20 years later, right? Like in the hundreds of millions to $1.6 or $7 Wild. billion. So it might make some sense to separate the two. It would be, uh, by my very refined calculations, which means I don't know a ton, but <laughs> it would benefit Rogers and whoever takes the sports enterprise off on its own. Like I... I think that's the idea. I think that's where some fans, especially Jays fans, could or should be focused when it comes to all this. The question is, will the instability hurt the Jays or MLSE moving forward, recruiting or keeping their skilled employees? And I think all the companies that are involved are so well run that it won't all that much. But other teams will try to make this look way, way bigger as they try and leverage it. So I guess in the end, I just need these ask you, Jesse, do I need to start watching Succession? <laughs> You've never seen any of it? I've never watched any of it. I haven't started watching the third season yet, but I can tell you that it is the acting and the writing is beautiful. So Just I should kids. watch it? Very good. Excellent. Excellent show. Right. Uh, okay, to football we go. Week 7 in the NFL wraps up tonight, but another intriguing Sunday if you're in the AFC. Is it time to start believing in the Bengals, Timmy, since he went into Baltimore and pumped the Ravens 41-17? and to 17. That was one of my picks on Sunday, here we go. Uh, The Titans threw down the hammer on the Chiefs 27-3. As Derrick Henry entered the MVP chat here in the NFC, the Arizona Cardinals remain the only undefeated team, improving to 7-0 with a win over the Texans. And Tom Brady and the Bucs keep rolling 38-3 over the Bears. What result caught your interest? I think the Bengals is the biggest win of the week. Like, there's a bunch of things that you laid down there. The the Titans' back-to-back wins over Buffalo and KC, very impressive. I, lo- I pitched last week a let's do uh, Henry for MVP conversation. We never got to the conversation. And now I think he leads by like 360 yards, the league in rush. It's unbelievable. But the Bengals just upset the apple cart in the AFC North. Jamar Chase 
and Joe Burrow. It's un- like Joe Burrow put up 416 yards and three touchdowns, and he was the second story to Jamar Chase. Eight catches, 201 yards, one touchdown, second youngest player in NFL history with a 200-plus receiving game. Nobody has had more receiving yards through seven games ever than that dude right there. It's unbelievable what the Bengals are doing, and I don't know if you paid attention to this game outside of red zone, but their defense hounded Lamar Jackson the entire game. I don't know how this shakes down. I don't know how quickly the Browns get healthy, But let me tell you something, this is going to be an absolute bar fight until the end. And coming up later, a dude that's been high on Joe Burrow the entire time that had me saying, I believe in the Bengals, Rich Gannon. Remember when I said, I asked someone a question, I don't know if it was him or if it was Nate Burleson, but I asked the question, are the Bengals the second best team in the AFC North? They might be the best team in the AFC North, and it's just week seven. Still to come, Sean McKenzie live from Carolina, where the Leafs are getting set to take on the Canes. More hockey talk, Gord Stellick, former NFL MVP Rich Gannon breaks down week seven in the National Football League. And Eric Smith joins us from Scotiabank Arena, where the Raptors are getting set to take on DeMar DeRozan and the Bulls. It's Tim and Friends on a Monday. Let us please move on. Let's go. Barnes turns a corner, slam dunk right down Bay Street. Looks him off and then just drives to the bucket. Oh, what a catch by Daniel Jones! A lunging one-hand grab from the quarterback. Evans, 600 innings. Watch this, realizing, oh my gosh, I gave it away? The football? Oh no. From USC, a 6'7 forward, number 10, DeMar DeRozan. Came into the game late in the second, and it looked like it'd be a tough night for him, but he settled in. Dreams do come true, don't they? What an amazing night. He saw that the Astros won. Yeah. They yeah. shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. Tim McCallum, Jesse Rubinoff, and you. It is Tim and Friends for a Monday, a busy Monday in the world of sports. Not only a full slate in the NHL, Monday Night Football, but also the Raptors welcoming DeMar DeRozan and the Bulls back to Scotiabank Arena tonight. The game is on TSM, but that doesn't mean that my next guest isn't working. Now, Eric Smith has picked up a gig. Smitty, what the hell am I hearing? Like, what, what are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm going to be working with a guy that you know quite well, that the audience knows quite well, and that's uh, Chuck Swirsky. So I'll be working the Chicago Bulls radio broadcast alongside the Swirsky. His, his regular partner is NBA champion and Canadian Bill Wennington, but Bill's had some, uh, some medical issues, something to do with his foot. He's not able to travel right now. Uh, so for any of the Bulls road games, Chicago's going to be having some guys filling in. So I got the uh, call from the bullpen from the Swirsk and from the Bulls. They said, hey, would you mind stepping in? So I'll be working. I'll be a little bit further down press row tonight uh, calling up from a, a Chicago perspective and hopefully trying to slide in a little, little Toronto into this. <laughs> so when's the last time you worked with Chuck Swirsky? Uh, last time would have been whenever he was here last. So what's, what's the math on that? It's oh, been, wow. what, 13 years, yeah. maybe 15 years, whatever it was. I mean, last time we've actually worked together would have been even longer because when he left to go to television after the years that he was with Jack Armstrong on the radio on the fan, that's when Jonesy and I slid onto the radio broadcast. So in terms of working with him, 
actually physically working with him. It's been damn near 20 years, and he was the guy that I broke in with 24 years ago when I started doing pre-half and post with Chuck and Jack when the fan first acquired the rights way back when. That's what I remember. Uh, does Chuck still pull out the salami and cheese? No, let me rephrase that. Does when, it, when, when the Bulls win the yeah, you game? Better. You better. And then, thank you. When the Bulls win the game, does he say that thing that he used to say in Toronto? Uh, I don't think he does, and if right. he does, it's not used very often. I think that was one of those things that was kind of reserved just for uh, just for the Raptors broadcast. I don't know. I don't think it followed him to Chicago, but it's it funny. Would feel I, like he's he sent out a tweet me. earlier today. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. right? I mean, come yeah. on, you can't you can't just pack up everything and bring it with you to the next destination. So uh, I, I might try and get him to slide it in if the if the Raptors get the win tonight. Maybe I'll say it if Chuck won't. So we'll, we'll, we'll try and get a little Toronto flavor back into the Bulls broadcast tonight. Uh, awesome. All right, so, so let me ask you. It has been a, a pretty wild three games for the Toronto Raptors, and maybe we should have expected it with this young team. But give me a report card as you see it for three games in. You know, I, I, if we break the report card, listen, we could break it up into a lot of subjects because right. that's my only chance to get A's when I was in school if we broke it up into a lot of subjects. <laughs> right. But if we just go two, offense, defense, I would say that, that you're getting a pretty solid grade on the defensive end, what the Raptors have been able to do. And I like what we've seen from the starters and the second unit, the energy level overall. I mean, clearly the Boston game, your only victory, a ton of deflections in that game. The rebounding was outstanding, the, the shot blocking, the energy, the hustle overall. But even in the loss to, to, to Washington on opening night and a couple of nights ago against Dallas, I thought defensively this team has looked pretty good. Clearly, there's a lot of ways to go still offensively. I think that it's chemistry with some of the new guys, and it's also just the efficiency overall. Even your, your, you know, your, your standover players, your guys that have been here, whether it's Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, I, I still think they're trying to find their range and maybe trying to figure out the pecking order of the offense overall and picking and choosing their spots. So I think that's where I'd look at the, the, the breakdown, Timmy, after three games is you know, uh, maybe much to be considered a needs improvement for the offense, but I, I'd give them a solid grade defensively, and that's going to be a key tonight against Chicago because the Bulls have shown so far they like to take the ball out of the hoop or off the rebound and get out and run, and they want to run it down your throat. So you better be dialed in defensively. You're going to try and slow down this team. Well, this might be a fast game tonight because both teams like to do that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're bang on about that. And that actually maybe speaks to what I was saying about the offense yeah. and one of the comments that Nick Nurse made after the last game, uh, especially uh, when it came to Scotty Barnes, is, you know what? Pressure. Push the ball. Push the effort. Put it in the rim. Make them force you to meet you at the rim. And you know what? If they're taking it away then at the rim, pull up for the 10, 12-footer. Be a little bit more unselfish overall. And again, that I think would then trickle down beyond just Scotty Barnes to the other guys, as I was saying, whether it's Freddie, whether it's OG, Gary Trent, guys looking for their shots a little bit more and maybe actually bringing a little bit more selfishness because this is one of the things we talked about, Timmy, right, going into the season is what happens when this team labors to score? Are they going to struggle to score? Who's the go-to guy? And I think a lot of us said it's not going to be one guy. It might be one or two different guys on any given night well that entails though you stepping up and being that guy every once in a while and 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 having the the strength the will the ability and the selfishness to take those shots and have the confidence to do so and not necessarily worrying about always being a facilitator all right it feels like we're moving on from the DeMar DeRozan era in Toronto it feels like we're now kind of two evolutions away from his time where uh, they pounded the rock and they put Toronto on the map Earlier today on Twitter, we asked what his legacy will be. And it's not like, um, you know, it's the first time back or anything like that. But anytime DeMar DeRozan comes back to Toronto, the fans kind of get a little excited. What's the legacy of DeRozan in Toronto? 
you know, I can't imagine that I'm not going to say anything that you haven't already said or that the fans don't already think. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit blocked out here by the overhang, but uh, I, I don't know how far your angle is, but I'm saying somewhere right around here or here, mm-hmm. there should be a banner hanging one day with his number on it. Uh, he wears 11 for the Bulls now, but that Raptor number 10, I think, should be hanging from the Raptors here. Uh, one of the most beloved players in franchise history, one of the greatest players in franchise history. But you're right. It's, it's now a few years removed. I was just talking to a buddy the other day, and I'm thinking by the time the end of the season rolls around, Tim, it'll be three years since the Raptors won the title in 2019. And it's yeah. really been kind of a, a quick three years because of the pandemic and the bubble and then the Tampa experience. It's, it's been a long time since the title, let alone then you got to go back to that previous summer to when DeRozan was dealt. We're talking almost four years now by the time this offseason rolls around. So he will always be beloved. He will always have a place in, in Raptor fans' hearts and in the, the history books and the legacy of this team. And I think he will be forever etched in stone uh, in lockstep with this franchise. Let's fast forward 10, 20 years from now. He'll be the alumni that's coming back and you know shaking hands and kissing babies and brought back for public speaking appearances and, and all this stuff. He will forever be a, a Toronto Raptor. Uh, and nobody can take that away. Uh, but that said, again, it's been quite a while since he's been here. And it's just, you know, times like this, you have that opportunity to show your respect and, and cheer him on and then hope that he doesn't win the ball game when the dust settles. Yeah, I, I hope it's not the only guy at an at a all-star level that embraces the city, loves the city. Like, I mean, so many Raptor fans were just crestfallen, whether it was Damon Stoudemire or Tracy McGrady or Vince Carter or Chris Bosh. And DeMar did the exact opposite thing. And what Toronto hoped, what Canada hoped, was that was the start of a trend. We haven't really seen that come to fruition, but I think that's why he's so loved. He was the first one to say, this is my city, this is my country, and he's still talking about it. You know, you're right, and I'll split hairs with you a little bit. There's no denying that the big glaring omission to what I'm about to say and probably to the point that you were talking about is Kawhi Leonard coming for one season and ultimately leaving. Mm -hmm. But I think that foundation was set when you think about the core that is now gone. Well, one, because he was traded in Norm Powell, and two, I guess technically traded, but ultimately sort of a free agent sign-and-trade with Kyle Lowry. There were guys that wanted to be here that sort of carried that flag with DeRozan and then even upon DeMar's departure. And I think you look now at the guys that are here, Fred Van Vliet and the way he speaks about Toronto and of Canada, Pascal Siakam as well, OG Ananobi, as soft-spoken as he is. And I tell you the other guy, I mean, it's very early returns, but I think you'd agree. And, I, I mean, I saw the way he came in even and, and video-bombed your interview with Masai. Scotty Barnes is, is looking like he is every bit the part of that guy that is going to carry the torch, carry the flag, whatever you want to call it, for this city, for this organization, and for basketball in this country as well. Obviously, we can't leave out the front page of the Toronto Star today. What do you make about the story about Masai Ujiri's contract and not getting done because of things standing in its way? You know, I'll just say this, Tim. On a, on a personal level and on a professional level, I've never had anything but great dealings with Masai Ujiri, so I have nothing but great things to say about him as a person let alone as a professional and what he's done for this organization and for the growth of basketball yeah. across the league, not just uh, in this country. And I think when you talk about uh, other organizations, not just in the NBA, but in pro sports globally, 
wanting his services and, and, and looking to bring him on in, in some sort of role as a president, as an executive, whatever, that speaks for itself. When you look for the, the valuation of this franchise since he came, let alone how this team has won and then ultimately won a championship and increased win totals and playoff appearances and everything else, the resume speaks for himself. So these are decisions that are happening obviously well above my head and way above my pay grade. But if I were you know, in charge, to me he seems like, uh, a heck of a, a candidate, uh, a, a heck of an executive, and I'm glad that he's back running the show for the Raptors and that he did ultimately ink that deal and that he'll be here for years to come. Yeah, that might have been the most shocking part of that story was, oh, there's a lot of things in there, but the offer of a 3% ownership stake along with the salary that was around $15 million a year that Premier League teams were interested in his services, like pulling a Ralph Kruger at Southampton. Like it's, I've always said this, like whatever he wants to do, he'll be able to do. Uh, the fact that he's getting 15 schmill a year, man. Good on you. Like I said in the first block, he, he's playing chess. A lot of people are playing checkers, Smitty. You're, you're bang on with that, Timmy. And, I, and I'll, for what it's worth, uh, I can corroborate some of those uh, the, the, uh, stories or, or sources because I've had uh, at least two different people tell me the same thing in the last couple of days, uh, at least as it relates to the other team or teams in the league that were pursuing Masai with potential ownership stake uh, being offered as well. So, uh, again, I don't know about the, the, the soccer stuff and the premiership and everything else, but I can definitely corroborate the stuff as it relates to the NBA. So, uh, again, I'm glad that he's a member of the Toronto Raptors and that he's going to be here for years to come. Uh, I was going to go back to the salami and cheese, but I'll leave it left alone. Uh, Eric, thanks for doing this. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, you, it, buddy. Leave it alone, man. You nearly botched <laughs> yeah, it off know, the top, I, so leave it alone, I please. Know, please. I know. Yeah. All right, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eric thanks, Smith man. down at Scotiabank Arena, Bulls and Raptors tonight. And I'm sure you can probably get that broadcast online if you want to hear Eric Smith, Chuck Swirsky. Go back down memory lane. Meantime, we'll get you set for the first ever triple header on Rogers Hometown Hockey. Leafs, Flames, and Sens all in action tonight. Ron McLean, Tara Sloan, next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back, Rogers Hometown Hockey from Lindsay, Ontario, coming up at 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. And for the first time ever, we've got a triple header for you. That's right. Three games available across the country. Leafs and Canes on Sportsnet East Ontario and Pacific, or at least that's what it says on my release. Flames and Rangers in Sportsnet West. Caps and Sens on Sportsnet One. Ron and Taro will join us live from Lindsay in just a minute. But first, here's what's coming up at 6.30 Eastern. Playing for Central Ontario, it was huge for me. Um, definitely wouldn't be where I am today without playing there. Well, the rule is you can't hit the driver's side, but you can't hit the passenger side. Ha-ha! Ha-ha-ha! Messier now feeds across the shot. They score! Jeff Bukaboom! Sometimes when you can't see a light at the end of the tunnel, you have to make your own, which is not easy. But if you're willing to put in the work, you end up in the make or break moment where you're either all in or you're in the way.
one of my favorites. Either you're in or you're in the way. Joining us now in from Lindsay are Ron McLean and Tara Sloan. So full disclosure, while introducing Ron and Tara last week, I said Ron and Laura because I'm an idiot. Now, I'm not sure why I wanted to embarrass myself by bringing it up again, but it got the team to thinking we thought we would start off today's chat with a little game we call What's My Name? That's right. What's My Good. Name? We'll ask a question about an athlete. You have to answer the correct full name. And because you're in lovely Lindsay, Ontario, either first or last name, we'll have Lindsay in it. Ron Tara, would you like to play What's My Name? Oh, you bet. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for the no. Move on, McCallum. Uh, three <laughs> questions. You can answer them together as a team. Number one, this legendarily tough hockey player played for both the Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks in 2017 was finally elected into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Who am I talking about? Yeah. I <laughs> Are we safe to say yeah, Ted that's Lindsay? Ted. Terrible <laughs> Ted Lindsay. And you know, uh, great thing about uh, Ted that kind of in keeping with the spirit of tonight, uh, he did not go to his Hall of Fame induction in 1966. Why? Because he didn't allow women. So he was always a fighter of rights, Ted Lindsay. We've got a lot of great stories on the show tonight, Tim, in that spirit. Uh, but there's, there's a terrible Ted. He would not accept uh, his 66 induction until the NHL saw fit to bring partners, women, make it more inclusive. Kind of neat, huh? Awesome, yeah, without a doubt. And leave it to Ron McLean to add actual information to my stupid game. Uh, <laughs> he played in 777 NHL regular season games, the majority of which came with the Panthers, now the radio color commentator for the Panthers. What's his name? Bill Lindsay. Yes. Great Bill Lindsay from Big Fork. I remember he was from Big Fork. I think Montana. I have to look that up. I, uh, if there's a Big Fork anywhere, it's Montana. Yeah, that sounds more right. <laughs> yeah, or the McAuliffe household. True story, when I was on Hometown Hockey in Windsor, I was trying to talk about Ted Lindsay, and I used the name Bill Lindsay by accident, again, because I'm a moron. So let's finish What's My Name with <laughs> one good. more for you. She's a three-time Olympic champ, which includes a gold medal in the downhill 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. She was also a line mate of P.K. Subban's for a couple years. Who is she? And you know, everybody everybody on the gram was sad to see this one end. We are talking about <laughs> Lindsay Vaughn, of course. But yeah. That was, there were a lot of uh, stories on social media, so sad to see that end for that yeah, reason alone. Yeah, it was fun to watch. All right, uh, so Tara, tell me a little bit about what we're going to actually learn about Lindsay, Ontario, and Rogers' hometown hockey tonight. Well, you saw some of our guests in that sizzle reel. want to add that Vince Dunn, so, I mean, before maybe last week, Vince Dunn was best known, being from Lindsay, as a Stanley Cup champion with the St. Louis Blues. But now, I mean, he's impossible to get a hold of. He's so famous. He has the first fight in Seattle Kraken history and scored the first goal at Climate Pledge Arena the other night. So, uh, unbelievable story of Vince from Lindsay. Ron, I got to ask you, I mean, we have the, the triple header tonight, but of course there is so much heat around the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm -hmm. you've, you've seen this up close and personal for a number of years. Have you ever seen this fan base this fired up after six games? Well, I've been there for the paper bags and for the sweaters on the ice, Tim, but it was always different. The expectations weren't ratcheted up the way they are for the Leafs uh, in this Iteration. I mean, obviously, it all goes back to uh, several consecutive disappointments, and have compared it to other teams going through it, but not in my. And I'm 37 years covering Toronto, yeah. so it's the first time I've felt it uh, 
this angst and they'll try the you know line changes and of course it's Freddie Anderson and they've got David Ayers apparently doing the siren yeah. for the hurricane warning tonight so everything is set up to be uh, yet another challenge or problem and I think that's you know everybody's waiting for Toronto to take one of these moments where it's a chance to grab the torch and begin to run uh, so we'll see if that happens I'll tell you one little again smidgen of trivia Bill Fitzell who is one of the greatest hockey historians perished about a year ago at the age of 97 but uh, chronicled the game for all those years he loved the Leafs and he went to see them for the first time in 1934 his favorite player was Charlie Conacher his other favorite player was Joe Primo who's from Lindsay neither was in the lineup and the Leafs had lost five in a row but that night when Fitzell went they won <laughs> mind you it was Boston Boston wasn't very good then uh, so he snapped them out of it maybe uh, the spirit of Bill Fitzell will be good for Toronto fans tonight in Carolina and hopefully, uh, we only have about 40 seconds left here, but the weather doesn't look all that great behind you. Is it similar no. to what we're seeing in Toronto right now? Uh, rainy days and Mondays, is that what they say? <laughs> yeah, yes. we've got a doozy yeah. outside. Uh, there are a couple of straggling fans out there, and, you know, you never know, right? Those Canadians are, are hardy folk, and they you, you get your gear on, and you give it a go. But yeah. we're going to give it a great show no matter what. Uh, well, you got a great couple of hockey games. In fact, you have three of them. Great storylines surrounding them all. Toronto at Carolina. Calgary off to a great start. Elias Lindholm just sniping in New York to take yes. on the Rangers. Washington and Ottawa. Thanks, guys. Have a great show coming your way in uh, about 35 minutes' time. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it, Tim. There is Tara and Ron. Tara and Ron. <laughs> coming up, the Kansas City Chiefs. Are they in danger of missing the playoffs? We'll ask former NFL MVP Rich Gannon, but up next, can the Leafs snap out of their skid tonight in Carolina on hometown hockey? Ford Stellick in studio. Sean McKenzie from Raleigh next. Time for real sports talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Team Dog's back here. Tim and friends. Another hour on Sportsnet 360. 30 minutes on Sportsnet. Rogers hometown hockey takes over 6:30 Eastern. Ron McLean, Tara Sloan, live in Lindsay, Ontario, where apparently it's rainy and windy. But they do have three games for your viewing pleasure on the network. Leafs, Canes, Flames, Rangers. Cap sends. Got it good and since you understood. We'll get to all three. Gord Stellick's sitting right there. He's being very quiet and a nice young man while he magically appears a little later on. But we have to begin in Carolina where the reeling Leafs look to snap their three-game losing streak against Freddie Anderson and the Canes who are a perfect 4-0 on the season. Their social media department also undefeated at this juncture in time. And just in time for Halloween, we're hearing that the Canes have... Some tricks planned for tonight. David Ayers in the building. So is Sean McKenzie. And Sean, it should be an interesting night. But what were the Leafs saying today after back-to-back tough losses on the weekend? Well, they were preaching patience, but also a little bit of change. And it comes as no surprise after that embarrassing loss of the Pittsburgh Penguins. We will see some change to the line. Sheldon Keith splitting up Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews for the first time in a very long time. Now, we may just be a handful of games into the season, and it hasn't gone very well for the Leafs. And the Leafs are saying, let's be patient. It's too early to freak out. But I think fans are freaking out, and it seems this year more than ever there is an anger, a bitterness, and a different feeling amongst Leaf fans. There is a lot of outside noise, and, well, the Leafs players are taking notice. You know, I think that noise and, you know, the panic from from the outside can't shake us because there's really no 
reason it should because you know it's still early and we're still obviously trying to figure out our game and we haven't played nearly to nearly to the ability that we'd like to or or that we expect from ourselves um but obviously you know tonight's going to be a really good test for us and we want to obviously turn that uh turn that ship around Yes, the Maple Leafs have played poorly as of late. And yes, people are freaking out, as Austin Matthews mentioned. And there is plenty of panic as much as the Maple Leafs don't want to listen to it. Now, all of that has overshadowed the fact that tonight they'll go up against Frederick Anderson, their former goalie who had some outstanding moments in Toronto and some not-so-outstanding moments. And he's excited tonight, though, to go up against some former friends. There'll be some some mixed feelings, obviously. uh, But, I mean, most of those guys I've played against before... um, yeah, throughout my career, so, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, it'll be fun, but, uh, yeah, an important uh, important game for us. It's going to be funny, but it's going to be, uh, you know, also a lot of fun facing him tonight. Uh, it's weird seeing him in, in red color as opposed to blue, so um, hopefully he lets me uh, sneak one or two past him. Now, it's not ideal for the Maple Leafs coming off the loss they are going up against the Hurricanes team that on a good day would be very hard to beat. And then you have Frederick Anderson, who will no doubt be motivated against his former team. All right, so their former goalie and their former emergency goalie apparently going to be in the building. Do you have any idea what's going on with David Ayers? And it kind of worries me a little, given how good the Kane social media team has been over the last little while. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them to have something a little special planned. Rumors are that he will sound the siren, which is a bit of a tradition here. And it's so on brand for the Hurricanes. They just can't help themselves. It's like, oh, the Maple Leafs are having a really tough time and fans are freaking out. What can we do to stir the pot? Well, <laughs> let's throw David Ayers out there. It's such a great story. And the funny thing is, is like Leaf fans love David Ayers. Hurricanes fans love him. It obviously signifies a tough moment in Maple Leafs history but I think he's just a fan favorite on both sides so it's it's funny and you know gotta love the Canes for everything they do yeah what an amazing story Uh, we'll be watching tonight Sean McKenzie have a great broadcast enjoy the game thanks Tim there is Sean McKenzie in Carolina not the only game in fact we've got a few Senators host the Capitals tonight a game you can see on Sportsnet 1 Anton Forsberg will start in goal for Ottawa Matt Murray placed on injured reserve after getting hurt in Saturday's loss to the Rangers. He could be back as early as next week and hopefully because it's been a tough time. Meanwhile, the Caps have yet to lose in regulation this season. They came back from 3-0 down to force overtime against the Flames before losing in that aforementioned extra frame. Speaking of the Flames, they continue a five-game East Coast swing tonight against the Rangers at the Garden. Calgary 2-0 to start the trip. Jacob Markstrom expected to start in goal against the Rangers, who have won four straight heading into this one. You can see it on Sportsnet West. All right. I mentioned that Gord Stellick was waiting patiently for his time. I would call it the sun, but it's just the show. Uh, he magically appears with a microphone on and ready to talk. Gordy, how are you, buddy? I'm excellent, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming. I, I said earlier that you may be a man who knows the tough times in Toronto very well. We spoke to Ron McLean. Have you ever seen it like this, this quick amongst the fan base? Well, yeah, I am the expert barometer. When something goes wrong, <laughs> call Gord Stellick, and he can make comparables to all the different eras. I'll tell you, where Austin Matthews maybe doesn't, I want to say doesn't understand it, is they're not accountable for not winning a cup since 1967. They're not accountable for not being in the playoffs since 2004. The fans aren't going crazy. They're pissed. There's a malaise. That seventh game loss to Montreal was the worst loss ever. And why you can tell is there's no outpouring of emotion. 
Those are the ones where you don't get any emotion. Like 2013, Matt Fratton should have scored. They'd have a three-goal lead. Oh, my God. James Reimer should have frozen the puck. Let's get Dave Boland. Let's get David Clarkson. Let's get Jonathan Burnley. Let's go at it. Fans have just all summer gone. I don't even know what happened in the first four games. I forgot about the first 56, where actually were really good regular season games. And that's where they are right now. And you two... Right the ship, they got to see something better on the ice. And Saturday was the biggest debacle since the Zamboni goaltender that time for the Carolina Hurricanes. It right. seriously was. So, so there was a bounce back because I remember at that time it was same thing. All the sky is falling in Toronto. They just got beat by a 42-year-old Zamboni driver who worked for the team. Like it was bad, and then they played well and bounced back. Do you think the fan base can be won back in the regular season? Absolutely. We tested it decades ago. This thing's infallible. That blue and white logo (laughs) defies any business school logic. So the fans have not dissipated. They haven't disappeared, okay? Uh, All all it's just that all they want to see, look, you got to get to game number 83 and then onwards. If it's going to be a bit uneven for the first 82 games, that's fine. It was going to be a different way because last year I thought every time they had to have a statement game, they did it. And then it didn't do much in game five, six, or seven. So if there's going to be peaks and valleys, that's fine. But Saturday's game, all those injuries to be outplayed, to be out-hustled, out-worked, out-efforted, all those things. So to me, there's an element of a statement you want to get tonight and you want to get it from this leadership group, which has not made a difference against Columbus two years ago or against the Montreal Canadiens last playoff. You want to see some of that. I know the rest of Canada looks at Toronto as like this white-collar, center-of-the-universe thing, but when it comes to Toronto and their fandom, they're very blue-collar, right? Like Motor City Smitty was a star. Ernie Witt was like the blue-collar. Wendell Clark was the ultimate Toronto Maple Leaf in the last, you know, 35 years because he played with heart Mm -hmm. is that what they want to see from this team and is that in the room outside like can't be the only pushback is Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza well where's our Gary Roberts where's our Darcy Tucker I I think those are valid points about guys that play that style maybe Nassim Kadri had a little bit of it is Brendan Shanahan too old to actually play Uh, I don't know it looks pretty good but I mean that could be it and and you're, you're 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 right Tim in the sense that okay they double down and double down on the four big guys up front. And they're quality players. Okay, they're not all playing great early on this season. We know they didn't have great playoffs, but they're quality players. But that's cost. So Zach Hyman leaves town. Freddie Anderson leaves town. Zach Bogosian leaves town. Like, we don't even care because we know we can't afford them in Toronto. We know that they're hard against the cap, so when they need that raise. So I thought, Tim, we'd be talking about some years of playoff experience. And how about Connor Brown? How about Zach Hyman? How about Freddie? You know, all that happened. And instead, the success hasn't happened. And then you keep trying to bring different complementary players in, and you're on a budget. So it's, you know, uh, uh, aisle six, uh, deal, whatever, and you can't get the, the, the Tucker or that kind of guy or the 2021 version of those kind of guys. So I agree. I, I, that kind of element, a lot of teams really don't have it, but that would be nice to have one or two of those. Kmart blue light special, is that what it used to be back Could in the Could be day? sometimes, yeah. It depends whatever, <laughs> whatever light was working that day, yeah. Right. Um, so let me, let me ask you this, because you were general manager of the team in the 80s when it was tough going. Like, give me, like, is there a comparable? Do you remember a time where you're like, even this – this economics thing that is the blue and white and the maple leaf where you were like, maybe this team is testing it a little too much. I, uh, 
Well, there was one time, and it, and, uh, it resulted in me being named general manager in a roundabout way. They threw about 30 sweaters on the ice yeah. at the end of a playoff series against Detroit. Now, if you get, you know, uh, one one sweater, you get zip-tied and taken off. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, okay? <laughs> right. But but a couple years later came that great offensive team with Doug Carpenter that was lots of fun, right? Mm-hmm. You know, And so it can come back. I think I, my little bit of worry now is kind of a disconnect with the players and fans again. And you don't want to tread into that territory yeah. where it was with Phil Kessel and that a few years ago because the fans are just, they're just tired. It's a malaise. They, they support the, the players. Uh, they support what it's about, but, but they don't get why they can't even win one round of the playoffs when now the Florida Panthers. Have the Florida Panthers passed them? Like two years ago, you thought, okay, Tampa Bay and Boston, that would be the kind of team that the Leafs would look to um, leap over some point. Now has Florida actually joined the other two? It's, it's, it's crazy to look at the Atlantic Division and think that this is how it's going to finish. Like, obviously, I don't think the Sabres or the Red Wings can stick. I think the Panthers are real. I don't think the Sabres or Red Wings can stick around. This is just early going. But how it sorts out is going to be really interesting and how the Leafs respond to this latest bit of adversity. And I know Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and those guys don't have to respond to the past, but they do have to respond to what they've done and what, they've, what they haven't done, more importantly. And I think that's what the fans are just pissed off about. They, they want to see some sort of response, some sort of accountability, which is, I feel like, the word of 2021. Well, I think the last two summers, too, Tim, there was a lot of drivel by some of the, some of the players and executives. I thought Brendan Shanahan hit it face-on last time, but people just got tired about another learning experience and what have you. Mitch Marner has not been on for an even-strength goal against, by the way. Right. Austin Matthews has only been back for three games. Uh, other guys, the defense was just terrible. Like, up till Friday against San Jose, the season had been good enough, okay? Yeah. Uh, and now, yep. you know, we're in, we're in game, again, game seven. I don't think Montreal is going to make the playoffs, so I think, Toronto is home and cooled out. There's four teams a clear cut to make the playoffs again. And we'll talk in game number 83, way down the road, how things are different. But you want to get good habits in place now because they didn't have them two years ago. And that was their exit against Columbus. And that's what was disappointing last year. They really did have good habits in that 56-game regular season. Mm -hmm. And it was this unique opportunity against Canadian-based teams. And then, once again, even worse and against Montreal, for Toronto Maple Leaf fans of all teams, yeah. uh, that happened. And this unique opportunity uh, slipped away. So now it's like, okay, here we, here we go again. I, I really I am really not up for here we go again with the same old, same old. Now, maybe like the Washington Capitals a couple of years ago or the St. Louis Blues. I'm not saying win the Stanley Cup, but maybe when some people least expect it, you, you actually do have that playoff right. success. Uh, the Capitals will always stick out as the team where everyone pointed at them and said there's no chance. And then all of a sudden, they were Stanley Cup champions. So let me ask you this. You're obviously not hitting the panic button yet. No. When would you? No. Uh, Because there's fans out there that are. Yeah. And there are fans out there asking us to hit the panic button and pointing to this pattern of behavior as opposed to just six games in. And I understand it. They've seen the same thing over and over again. But when do you actually say, well, hold on, maybe they need to trade somebody. Maybe they need to shake up. Well, it's not a number, and you look at, okay, Saturday, wait, wasn't this group the group two years ago that went out to fire a coach with a game in Pittsburgh and it happened? Yeah. Okay, so all of a sudden, do you get a few of these, and I'm not mandating firing a coach or general manager here, but then you get concerned about what, what is the, what's, the, what's the fabric of this group? What's the intangible qualities of this group? What is really lacking there? And at that point, and sometimes... Sometimes it's a simple tweak about whatever may be the right kind of chemistry, right kind of player to come in. But, but 
that's when I get a little bit nervous about things. And again, there, there is no, they will get in the playoffs. They will get in the playoffs. So then who knows? But let's, you know, if it's going to be an uneven venture, that part's fine. But if it's going to be one where you have games like Saturday and too many games with a complete lack of effort when the Pittsburgh Penguins are missing Malkin, Crosby, Rust, Carter, and Latang, that's a big problem. Right. The, the one thing that uh, underlies all of this is that they are out shooting and out chancing their opponents. It's not like, it's just that, their big guns aren't scoring. Well, Mitch Marner was fourth in the NHL last year in scoring. Matthews won the Rocket Richard Trophy. I mean, it, it speaks for themselves. They will do that. Tim, I, I, I don't know what to do about the power play. Like, that one really perplexes me. Yeah. That, that, that's baffling. It's almost, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a mindset, a mental block about it, because this has gone on far, far, far too long. And that's a big part of the problem about not getting goals. I mean, not having offense. That power play should be killing. Um, the... <laughs> I was just going to bring up the Edmonton Oilers because you brought up power plays and yeah. unbelievably good. We only got a couple seconds sure. here, but the Edmonton Oilers start. Is this a sign of things to come? Because we've seen it before. We've seen the 5-0 and With Dave Tippett as the coach, we've seen this 5-0 and start before. Yeah. Something feels a little bit different about this team. Well, and it was the three years ago Joel Quenville felt the Toronto Maple Leaf start was yeah. like his old Chicago Blackhawk team. And I think Edmonton has that this year, and it's what they do the next level. How far can they ride it? Uh, Gord Stelic in studio. We always appreciate you doing this. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Tim. All right, there is uh, Gord Stelic. Still more of your Leafs take. Plus, we'll get you set for the World Series. That's right, kids. We have a World Series. Game one, Braves-Astros goes Tuesday. So who you got? We will discuss after this and get you set for hometown hockey and a trifecta of games on the network. That's Rich Gannon still coming up on Sportsnet 360. Meanwhile, World Series will begin in Houston after the Astros and Braves both finished off their league championship series in six games. Atlanta's first time in the Fall Classic since 1999. Houston back for the third time in five seasons now. Controversy has followed these Astros. I don't know if you heard sign skilling, you know. <laughs> so is there extra motivation to win after 2017, guys? I don't think that's their main source of motivation. That's what I think people are trying to make it as their main source of motivation, but that doesn't uh, motivate you nearly as much as, as, as just thriving to win and thriving you know, for excellence. I think this team is way, way past that because they know they can play. I'm not worried about narratives. I'm not worried about any of that. Um, I want to win four games. I want to play good baseball with this team, to be honest with you. I think we have the same mindset we always have, is going out there and, and try to win. You know, this is a pretty special team, you know, and like I said, everybody just talks about winning. We just want to really show the world that we're the best team out there, and uh, in order for us to do that, we got to get four more wins. I don't think the outside noise motivates us at all. What makes this team so special is we've been here, done that. Like, we, we've been through all of it, so... There's no stage that's big enough. There's nothing that a crowd's going to do to us that's going to get us off our game. Uh, we believe in one another. We trust in one another. So it's media day at the World Series. The Astros have already spoken. Atlanta now speaking as we, uh, as we speak. I have a question <laughs> for you. As two speaks. Uh, Jesse, yes. I have a question for you. Is 100% of Canada cheering for the Atlanta Braves? Because of Alex Anthopoulos yeah, and, it's out, and the and, cheating. And Freddie Freeman. I think there's a lot and of Freddie, Freddie Freeman, Freeman lovers yeah. in Canada as well. We've given the Canadian connection there. Um, I, I, listen, I, I think that there is definitely a lean towards the Atlanta Braves. 
And I think it's also because they went through so much this year. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know that it, Alex Anthopoulos plays a factor. I know Freddie Freeman plays a factor. But, like, Ozuna, Soroka, right? Like, that's an angle, too, for Canadians, even though he's been injured for most of the year. That was going to be a big part of this team. It's amazing. Uh, I just can't get over the fact that they were an 88-win team in the regular season. In fact, the first time that they were over 500 this year was their 111th game. Like, that's how far, that's how long it took them to get going this year. And I can't help but think what would have happened had the Dodgers and Giants not maxed each other out in what was a five-game series for the ages. Yeah, doubt them at your own peril at this point, though, because irrespective of the injuries that they've suffered with Soroka and Acuna Jr., yeah. like, yeah, they, they can do this. Like, they, they have been in it this entire time now. Yeah. But Trevor Plouffe, uh, he predicted at the start of the year. Yeah. Did you hear this? No. Astro, he predicted Astros and Braves. He didn't think the Braves would be great, but he figured it would be a coin flip in yeah, the playoffs. There. <laughs> and there it is, coin flip in the playoffs. He looks like, he looks like Nostradamus here. Yeah. All right, uh, we've been talking about the Leafs a lot, and I know we're getting tons of feedback on Twitter, so why don't we let the people speak? Yeah, so we asked, has your opinion changed about the Leafs after six games? Hamilton Sports Guy writes in and says, has not. Dubas has given this team everything. They got their money. They got their preferred line mates. They fired the big scary coach. They relaxed the dress code. When they fail, management reaffirms their trust in the core. This group is very complacent, and it shows. Yeah, that's a big part of this, right? Like, there has been very little give the other way. Now, I don't know what you would give back the other way, but there's no doubt that Kyle Dubas has made this about the players. Yes. And there is a faction of this of this fan base that wishes that Lou Lamarillo was still there because then there'd be accountability. And for all the people who say, well, that's not a big deal, and the dress code's not a big deal, and that's not a big deal, sometimes you have to set your tone on the ice. Like, your identity is, yes, what you are off the ice, but no one cares about that if you're not winning games. A hundred percent. And the fan base will embrace Austin Matthews and his fashion sense when he wins games, right? And they'll let Mitch Marner be whatever the hell he wants to be when you're winning. Like, the, the Oilers' identity in the mid-'80s came after they won Cups, came after they had put up ridiculous numbers. And it seems like the Leafs wanted their cake and, eat, and to eat it too. Yeah. I mean, when you cater the team and their surroundings to your star players, you are opening yourself up to more criticism when they don't win. I think that's something that can't be lost in here. Without when a, you change yeah, the dress lesson. code, yeah, when yeah. you change the dress code and you, you change the facial hair thing, not that it's that big of a deal at all, but when you change these things from a previous management team, you are opening yourself up when you don't win. People will be like, well, maybe if we dressed in suits, it would be a different story. Right. Uh, Hala writes in, everyone... Colon. Regular season doesn't matter. They could win the President's Trophy and it would be nothing. Also, everyone. They look terrible six games in. Trade Marner, fire Dubas, and Keith. <laughs> I get that they have to get in the postseason. They will. What a fan base I'm a part of. Yeah, that's good and accurate. Douglas, yeah. need players that play every second of every shift. Hardworking and go all out. I'm not seeing that with a lot of these players. Work ethics mean everything in this game. You alluded to that off the top. And that's something that... I think frustrated a lot of fans on Saturday night. Like yeah, they didn't show any fight until it was seven-one, basically. Yeah, that was that was it. That's what pissed people off on Saturday night was either you run them out with your skill or you work hard. You can't be neither. 
Absolutely. One more. Uh, the Gosling says, I'm just sad. So much promise and this is happening. These guys need to check themselves. They need to figure out what they want to be in the city because the potential for them is huge, but the effort needs to be there. A lot of consistent takes, I would uh, say. Today. We'll see if it is tonight. Rogers hometown hockey coming up in mere moments from now on Sportsnet. Three games on the slate. Elias Lindholm looking to become the first flame to score five in a row or in five games in a row to start the season since Gary Roberts in 1989 as they take on the Rangers. Speaking of goal scorers, Ovi and the Caps are in Ottawa to face the Sens. The grade eight has five and five games to start the season. Just 735 for the career or six back of Brett Hall for fourth all time. And the Leafs. Ah, oh, the Leafs. Toronto buried by their fan base over the weekend has had a couple of folks leaping to their defense with the it's early justification. But make no mistake, this isn't about six games. This is a pattern of behavior that the fan base is absolutely sick of. You just heard it, and it's why there was a jersey on the ice after five games. This is about a fan base that wants to see some fight out of guys other than Wayne Simmons or Justin or Jason Spezza, for bleep's sakes. It's why a three-game losing streak has hit the fan base in 18-wheeler-like proportions because watching a Penn's top six making a grand total of just under $17 million eat the lunch of the Leafs' $44 million group and the only pushback you got was from the million-dollar man, as I said, man, either run teams out of the rink with your skill or play with courage and conviction. Don't half-ass both. Everyone knows adversity can build character but can also reveal it. And right now, the buds are starting to look like they've been exposed. Not by six games, but by what they've faced over the last couple of years. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Funny thing is, in a season where most thought nothing mattered until the postseason, the Leafs have somehow made the regular season mean nothing. And now, just six games in, it does mean something. And amazingly, they need to show what happens when talent works hard. They're still out shooting, out chancing their opponents, and you can't blame the goaltending. So there is absolutely a chance to bounce back out of this, to show the kind of character every one of those pissed off fans has been begging to see and prove that all of this fire is simply forged the kind of steel it takes to win in the National Hockey League. That's what needs to start happening tonight in Carolina against your former goalie and a good Canes team because eventually you're no longer young. Eventually you are no longer full of potential. Eventually you are what your record says you are. And the Leafs are dangerously close to becoming just that. Eventually you can't teach old dogs new tricks. It's in there. Everyone says it's in there. Now it's time to find it. Good thing they addressed the dress code, though. <laughs> Haven't won in almost 20 years, Jesse, but man, those suits are a problem that we need to take care of right here and right now. Yeah, I mean, wear whatever you want, but you got to also win games. That's the reality. That's what we've discussed here and now. And I I'm interested to see what the response is tonight from the Maple Leafs going against Freddie Anderson. It's a big spot. Yeah, probably a good thing that they're on the road tonight. Yes, no question. Leafs and Canes on hometown hockey, and it comes your way in mere moments from now. For those watching on Sportsnet, it will be our friends, the ones that we just spoke to, Ron McLean and Tara Sloan, who are standing by to get you set for tonight's triple header live from a rainy Lindsay, Ontario. Meanwhile, Tim and Friends continues for another 30 minutes on Sportsnet 360. We will talk 
with NFL MVP, or at least former NFL MVP, Rich Gannon, 60 seconds away from now. Are the Chiefs done? We'll discuss. Lon and Tara take it away in the meantime. Nobody talked about Cincinnati winning this game. The Cincinnati team needs some love. They earned it today. Evans, 600 innings. Watch this. Realizing, oh my gosh, I gave it away? The football? Now you're about to see one of the great negotiations in NFL history. <laughs> so what do you want? A million? No. Well, a this, day with this, Giselle. This a day on. with Giselle and I'm in. Direct snap. Henry, he's going to pass it. Touchdown. And the King reigns supreme through the way the Chiefs have been on an incredible run the last few years but right now it's not working it is not working but we will try and make it work with our friend Rich Gannon who joins us now for a little Monday afternoon quarterback Rich welcome back to the show thanks for doing this brother it's great to be with you all right let's talk some football was the Bengals the biggest win of the weekend oh I, I think without question I mean they put four on on the Baltimore Ravens a week after the Los Angeles Chargers struggled to, to, to make 200 yards against a very good Baltimore defense. I just think the story uh, through the first seven weeks of the season is the emergence of the Cincinnati defense, how well they play. But, of course, Joe Burrow playing as well as any quarterback in the league. And how about Jamar Chase, over 200 yards receiving yesterday after a lot of people felt like in the preseason he couldn't catch the football. But this is a really good Cincinnati defense that, that their Cincinnati team that went on the road and really handed it to the Ravens. Yeah, the uh, the preseason story about drops that scared a lot of people away from perhaps drafting Jamar Chase in their fantasy pool, really coming back to haunt them because this like this kid is real deal. And a lot of people, not not just fans, but a lot of uh, NFL pundits wondered why they went in the first round to get this when they could have used an offensive lineup, when they could have solidified that group around Joe Burrow. Maybe Joe Burrow knew something here. Yeah, he's a special player. I mean, he's competitive. He's physical. He's a great finisher. He's terrific in traffic. He can separate. He plays with a great deal of confidence. And I think clearly the relationship between Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow going back to the days in LSU has made this kind of a seamless transition. But it's amazing to think that he's struggling in the preseason and a lot of people began to write him off. I just think it was a great decision by the Bengals to go out and get what I think is the best young receiver in football. So how do you see the AFC North right now? Well, I think when you look at the AFC North, I still think the Ravens and the Bengals are right there. I think this was a, a bit of a shocker for Raven fans. I, you know, you look at what happened yesterday. Lamar Jackson completed less than 50% of his throws. You look at the running backs. They had three running backs that carried the ball for 11 times and they weren't able to gain 30 yards on the ground. So the problem with the Ravens right now, Tim, is they're so dependent on one person. I mean, they, they rely on Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson has an off day, there's a chance the Ravens will struggle. I was a little bit surprised by the play of their defense. Uh, not to take anything away from Joe Burrow uh, and Jamar Chase and, and the rest of that Cincinnati offense, but 
the Ravens historically have bullied the Bengals when the Bengals have come into Baltimore, and yesterday they got their noses bloodied. Yeah, without a doubt. So, I mean, the Steelers have kind of ruled the roost in the division. Are they the worst team in the AFC North right now? I think so. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's any question. I think even with the, the Cleveland Browns being banged up and the situation with Baker Mayfield and the running backs having some calf injuries, I still think Cleveland's the better team. I, I think when you look at the at the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, Ben Roethlisberger, obviously at 39 years of age, not the same player. They're not able to run the football. The offensive line hasn't played well. I think they have to rely on their defense to keep them in games. But right now, they're not pushing the ball down the field. And if you were to ask me who the worst team is in the AFC North, I think without question, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, Rich Gannon, are you more impressed with Tennessee's back-to-back wins over Buffalo and KC or more worried about KC moving forward? It's a great question. I, I think that I think a lot of us, myself included, maybe underestimated the Tennessee Titans. They've won three straight. Uh, their defense is playing better. I think Ryan Tannehill is a very unselfish player at the quarterback position. Of course, they've got Derrick Henry. This is a big <laughs> fiscal team. It's not just Derrick Henry, who's 247 pounds. Julio Jones is under, just under 230 pounds. A.J. Brown, 225 pounds. These are big, physical playmakers that are hard to get on the ground. And I think the other shocking, I think the biggest surprise to me through the first seven weeks uh, is the, the Kansas City Chiefs and the struggles that they're having. I, I, we know we know their defense isn't very good, but now Patrick Mahomes is looking like an ordinary player. I mean, yeah. he's thrown nine interceptions. He's had four fumbles in his last three starts, and he's making some uncharacteristically poor decisions with the football. And I think he's pressing. And I think this team, you talk about, the Ravens are so dependent on one player. But think about the Kansas City Chiefs, what this team would look like without Patrick Mahomes. They're not a good football team right now. They're not very physical. They wear down on defense, and the quarterback is trying to do too much. The Chiefs are in danger of making the postseason. It's an interesting one for me because, obviously, uh, the sum of the parts is always underestimated in football. And I look around, and McCole Hardman hasn't developed into that second receiver that they thought he was going to be. I know Edwards Alaire is hurt, but he hasn't turned into the running back. Like, it's basically down to Kelsey Hill and Mahomes to get it done. And when you have that defense, it feels like you got to score 30. So why wouldn't Mahomes be pressing? Yeah, I think the margin of error is yeah. is is. Well, That's yeah, it. I mean, I, I think you mentioned when when in Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes, it's like a, a three man band, and they've carried the Chiefs for the longest time. And their defense, you know, even when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, they weren't a dominant defense. In fact, they really struggled the first ten weeks of the season. They started playing better in December, and they got on a roll a little bit in the postseason with Chris Jones and their pass rush. But right now, they're not the same group. They've lost some confidence, and the quarterback is struggling. And I guess that, to me, is a shocker right now when you look at how talented Patrick Mahomes is. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks. How ridiculous is it to hear that someone's thrown for 600 touchdown passes in the National Football League? Well, not surprising when you consider who we're we're talking about, Tom Brady. He's 44 years old. He's playing as well as he did when he's 28 years old. Yeah, but that's ridiculous. Uh, That's ridiculous, Rich. We have to stop there. Like, he's 44. Well, he leads the league. He leads the league in passing yards. Complete. <laughs> he's throwing 21 touchdowns and just three interceptions. I mean, he, you can make the argument he's the MVP of the league right now. That, that that game was over at the half. It was 35 to three, and and we were questioning why is Tom Brady still in the game? 
but he's playing he's playing as well as he's ever ever as ever has. He's he's breaking records each week and he's having fun doing so. And I tell you what, the offensive line, it's a good group. They can open up holes in the running game. They're doing a good job protecting Brady. And here's the thing. Brady didn't have Gronk yesterday. They didn't have A B. <laughs> they're not playing well defensively. They don't have any corners because they're all they're all banged up and on injured reserve. And they're still dominating people on Sundays. This is a very good football team. It, it's so funny because I took the Bears against the spread and it was my first loss <laughs> in a while. And, and it was laughable. And the very reason I took the Bears was what you just said. Like they're banged the Bucks are banged up. And yet they still like significant pieces in significant places, and yet they still win easily. How much of this is on? Is sorry, you're going to say something there. I know I can see it oh, in just, you. To follow up what you said about Justin Fields, I mean, here's an example. Yeah. People were saying, "Was well, why is Matt Nagy want to play Andy Dalton? You know, coming out of the preseason." Well, there's a reason why because the other guy wasn't ready. You look at Justin Fields. This guy is absolutely struggling. He's, he's thrown for less than 150 yards a game. He's thrown. Three times as many interceptions as he's thrown touchdowns. And, you know, you look at the, the 56% completion percentage. He turned the ball over five times yesterday. Three interceptions, a pair of fumbles. You can tell the game's just moving way too fast for him right now. Justin Fields is not ready to play on prime time. No, I'm with you on that. I was going to ask you how much is that is on Fields, how much, that, how much is that on Nagy. Uh, some of it's on the fans who demanded that Nagy play the guy. Like, we're, we're all in a spot where – you immediately expect the quarterback to be a great player, and yet history tells you sometimes you got to wait a little while. You know, it's, it seems crazy, Tim. We're only we're only seven weeks into it. We've already got people in the hot seat. Sam Darnold's on the hot seat in Carolina. Yeah. You know, two other trying to replace him in Miami. There's a lot of talk about Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, I think you you, know, you look Maybe. at the situation with Matt Nagy uh, in Chicago. You know, they're they're losing and they're trying to develop a young player. How about Brian Flores? They, yeah. they went ten last year. They've lost six straight. Now they're calling for for his head in Miami. So it, this is a crazy league, and it's it's all about what have you done for me lately? It's amazing. We're only seven weeks in. We've got a number of coaches and players already on the hot seat. Okay, so how much do coaches mean when John Gruden can go away and the Raiders can rally the way they have over the last two weeks? I think uh, there's a couple things going on there. I think it speaks volumes about the job that Derek Carr has done. I think he's become the the, the uh, leader of this football team, this leader of this organization. Rich Passaccia, their special teams coordinator, has taken over as interim head coach. job's done a nice job. I think Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, he's been with John Gruden. He's been with Derek for a long time, so that's been a seamless transition. Gus Bradley continues to do a good job with the defense. But keep in mind now, and I'm, I'm a, you know, obviously I played for the Raiders. I'm a Raider fan, but they beat the Broncos, who are struggling and have lost four straight, and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you know, I think it's time to pump the brakes. I'm excited that the Raiders are five and two. I'm excited that they've won two straight without John Gruden. But wait until they get into the the the, 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 the heat of the schedule here until we really find out just how good the Las Vegas Raiders are. Yeah, I'm impressed with the two wins. I'll, I'll take it and run because I've bet on them in the last two <laughs> weeks as well. Uh, I may I may be swayed by my picks here. Uh, last bit of breaking news: uh, Joe Flacco has been traded to the Jets. Obviously, they lose their first round pick. Um, Obviously, they've been struggling, the Jets. What do you make of the Flacco deal from Philadelphia? Is this just insurance or someone that they can put in and not look like they're going to get run over here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they were embarrassed this past weekend yeah. by the, the rare team that we see a team lose by 41 points. Zach Wilson's going to be out three or four weeks with a MCL sprain. And so I just think they're looking for a veteran quarterback that can come in. 
Joe Flacco has been with the organization. He knows a lot of the players. So I think at least you got a, a quarterback that can go out there and, and uh, you know, keep the, keep the car on the tracks, you know, keep the car on the road and not steer it into the ditch. But, you know, Flacco's not the same player he once was when you look at uh, what's yeah. happened to him since he went to Denver and now the Jets. But at least you have a veteran quarterback that the team has a chance to be competitive with over the next three or four weeks. Rich, always great talking football with you. I thank you for doing this. You're the best, brother. Talk to you next week. Be well. There is a little Monday afternoon quarterback with our friend, former NFL MVP, Rich Gannon. Nice to go up and down the road with him. Now, I, I pointed to the fact, Jesse Rubinoff, that I, uh, I did take the Bears, unfortunately. Uh, the logic was there. It was sound. Let, let me down a wee bit. Um, as the buck without the road is littered with people who bet against Tom Brady. I've said that on this show about a thousand times, oh. and I didn't take my own advice. So uh, I go one and one. Raiders uh, help me out against the Eagles again. Rubinoff goes two and zero oh on the weekend, improving to seven and three. So if we eliminate Kevin Mickey from the mix, I don't know if we can, but if we do, so uh, we are eighteen and six against the spread. I looked down at my Instagram in the middle of that conversation, and I saw a response uh, to my post about our picks this from Kevin? weekend. Kevin, no. <laughs> And it simply said, well, you guys only pick two games a week. And I thought, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, real gamblers shouldn't be betting on a bunch of games. That's the way that Vegas gets you, is if you bet on a ton of games, because you should only bet on the ones that you're most confident on. Should we add, like, a six-team parlay next week? Is there, like... Do we need to add to the equation? Is two games enough? Producer Jay Sands, you can jump in on this. I know that you've dabbled a little bit. Jay Sands says, says two games is perfect. He says two games is good. Are you good with two games? Like, I don't think that diminishes the record. I think that it makes it harder if you fall behind early to claw back. And this is how you make money. You don't make money on 16 parlays. No. You have one bad result, you lose. And you don't pick every game because if you bet every game, Look, you're going to lose. We're trying to be profitable here. There's juice. We're trying to be profitable right. here on Tim and Friends. And I right. will tell you, right. 18 and 6. Is profitable. What is that exactly? That's profitable. That's plus 12. There you go. That's a, that, where are you getting 18 and 6 elsewhere? Winning percentage? I don't know how long it'll last, but we will ride it yes. while we can. Time for one last break. Rubinoff takes over with Last Call as we conclude another edition of Tim and Friends right here on Sportsnet 360. A lunging one-hand grab from the quarterback. Who's Chase? Found the Oh, there he goes! He had it a blender and he's off to the races. This will be six. What a play. Nobody talked about Cincinnati winning this game. The Cincinnati team needs some love. They earned it today. Evans. 600 it is. Watch this. Realizing, oh my gosh, I gave it away? The football? Now you're about to see one of the great negotiations in NFL history. <laughs> so what do you want? A million? No. Well, a this, day with this, Giselle. This a day with on. Giselle and I'm in. Direct snap. Henry, he's going to pass it. Touchdown! And the King reigns supreme through the air. Your way. The Chiefs have been on an incredible run the last few years. But right now, it's not working. 
It is not working, but we will try and make it work with our friend Rich Gannon, who joins us now for a little Monday afternoon. Quarterback Rich, welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this. Brother, it's great to be with you. All right, let's talk some football. Was the Bengals the biggest win of the weekend? Oh, I, I think without question. I mean, they put 41 on the Baltimore Ravens a week after the Los Angeles Chargers struggled to, to, to make 200 yards against a very good Baltimore defense. I just think the story uh, through the first seven weeks of the season is the emergence of the Cincinnati defense, how well they play. But, of course, Joe Burrow playing as well as any quarterback in the league. And how about Jamar Chase, over 200 yards receiving yesterday after a lot of people felt like in the preseason he couldn't catch the football. But this is a really good Cincinnati t- defense that that or Cincinnati team that went on the road and really handed it to the Ravens. Yeah, the uh, the preseason story about drops that scared a lot of people away from perhaps drafting Jamar Chase in their fantasy pool really coming back to haunt them because this like this kid is real deal and a lot of people not not just fans but a lot of uh, NFL pundits wondered why they went in the first round to get this when they could have used an offensive lineup, when they could have solidified that group around Joe Burrow. Maybe Joe Burrow knew something here. Yeah, he's a special player. I mean, he's competitive. He's physical. He's a great finisher. He's terrific in traffic. He can separate. He plays with a great deal of confidence. And I think clearly the relationship between Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow going back to the days in LSU has made this kind of a seamless transition. But it's amazing to think that he struggled in the preseason and a lot of people began to write him off. I just think it was a great decision by the Bengals to go out and get what I think is the best young receiver in football. So how do you see the AFC North right now? Well, I think when you look at the AFC North, I still think the Ravens and the Bengals are right there. I think this was a a bit of a shocker for Raven fans. I, you know, you look at what happened yesterday. Lamar Jackson completed less than 50% of his throws. You look at the running backs. They had three running backs that carried the ball for 11 times, and they weren't able to gain 30 yards on the ground. So the, the problem with the Ravens right now, Tim, is they're so dependent on one person. I mean, they, they rely on Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson has an off day, there's a chance the Ravens will struggle. I was a little bit surprised by the play of their defense. Uh, not to take anything away from Joe Burrow uh, and Jamar Chase and, and the rest of that Cincinnati offense, but the Ravens historically have bullied the Bengals when the Bengals have come into Baltimore, and yesterday they got their noses bloodied. Yeah, without a doubt. So, I mean, the Steelers have kind of ruled the roost in the division. Are they the worst team in the AFC North right now? I think so. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's any question. I think even with the, the Cleveland Browns being banged up and the situation with Baker Mayfield and the running backs having some calf injuries. I still think Cleveland's the better team. I, I think when you look at the at the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, Ben Roethlisberger obviously at 39 years of age, not the same player. They're not able to run the football. The offensive line hasn't played well. I, I think they have to rely on their defense to keep them in games. But right now, they're not pushing the ball down the field. And if you were to ask me who the worst team is in the AFC North, I think without question, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, Rich Gannon, are you more impressed with Tennessee's back-to-back wins over Buffalo and KC or more worried about KC moving forward? It's a great question. I, I think that I think a lot of us, myself included, maybe underestimated the Tennessee Titans. They've won three straight. Uh, their defense is playing better. I think Ryan Tannehill is a very unselfish player at the quarterback position. Of course, they've got Derrick Henry. This is a big <laughs> physical team. It's not just Derrick Henry who's 247 pounds. Julio Jones is 
under, just under 230 pounds. A.J. Brown, 225 pounds. These are big, physical playmakers that are hard to get on the ground. And I think the other shocking, I think the biggest surprise to me through the first seven weeks uh, is the, the Kansas City Chiefs and the struggles that they're having. I, I, we, know, we know their defense isn't very good, but now Patrick Mahomes is looking like an ordinary player. I mean, yeah. he's thrown nine interceptions. He's had four fumbles in his last three starts. And he's making some uncharacteristically poor decisions with the football. And I think he's pressing. And I think this team, you talk about the Ravens are so dependent on one player. But think about the Kansas City Chiefs, what this team would look like without Patrick Mahomes. They're not a good football team right now. They're not very physical. They wear down on defense. And the quarterback is trying to do too much. The Chiefs are in danger of making the postseason. It's an interesting one for me because obviously uh, the sum of the parts is always underestimated in football. And I look around and McCall Hardman hasn't developed into that second receiver that they thought he was going to be. I know Edwards Alaire is hurt, but he hasn't turned into the running back. Like it's basically down to Kelsey Hill and Mahomes to get it done. And when you have that defense, it feels like you got to score 30. So why wouldn't Mahomes be pressing? Yeah, I think the margin of error is yeah. is is. That's it. I mean, I, I think you mentioned when when in Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes, it's like a, a three man band, and they've carried the Chiefs for the longest time. And their defense, you know, even when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, they weren't a dominant defense. In fact, they really struggled the first ten weeks of the season. They started playing better in December, and they got on a roll a little bit in the postseason with Chris Jones and their pass rush. But right now, they're not the same group. They've lost some confidence, and the quarterback is struggling. And I guess that, to me, is a shocker right now when you look at how talented Patrick Mahomes is. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks. How ridiculous is it to hear that someone's thrown for 600 touchdown passes in the National Football League? Well, not surprising when you consider who we're, we're talking about, Tom Brady. He's 44 years old. He's playing as well as he did when he's 28 years old. Yeah, but that's ridiculous. Uh, that's ridiculous, Rich. We it, have to stop it, there. Like, it, he's 44. Well, he leads the league. He leads the league in passing yards. <laughs> yeah. Complete. He's thrown 21 touchdowns and just three interceptions. I mean, he, you can make the argument he's the MVP of the league right now. Th that that game was over at the half. It was 35 to three, and and we were questioning why is Tom Brady still in the game, but he's playing. He's playing as well as he's ever ever as ever has. He's he's breaking records each week, and he's having fun doing so. And I tell you what, the offensive line, it's a good group. They can open up holes in the running game. They're doing a good job protecting. Brady and here's the thing Brady didn't have Gronk yesterday he, they didn't have AB <laughs> they're not playing well defensively they don't have any corners because they're all they're all banged up and on injury reserve and they're still dominating people on Sundays so this is a very good football team it, it's so funny because I took the Bears against the spread and it was my first loss <laughs> in a while and, and it was laughable and the very reason I took the Bears was what you just said like they're banged the Bucks are banged up and yet they still, like, significant pieces in significant places, and yet they still win easily. How much of this is on is – sorry, you're going to say something there. I know I can see it oh, in you. To follow up what you said about Justin Fields, I mean, here's an example. Yeah. People are saying, why is Matt Nagy want to play Andy Dalton, you know, coming out of the preseason? Well, there's a reason why, because the other guy wasn't ready. You look at Justin Fields, this guy is absolutely struggling. He's, he's thrown for less than 150 yards a game. He's thrown – three times as many interceptions as he's thrown touchdowns. And, you know, you look at the 56% the completion percentage. He turned the ball over five times yesterday. Three interceptions, a pair of fumbles. You can tell the game's just moving way too fast for him right now. Justin Fields 
is not ready to play on prime time. No, I'm with you on that. I was going to ask you how much is that is on field, some of that, how much is that on Nagy. Uh, some of it's on the fans who demanded that Nagy play the guy. Like, we're, we're all in a spot where you immediately expect the quarterback to be a great player, and yet history tells you sometimes you got to wait a little while. You know, it's, it seems crazy, Tim. We're only, we're only seven weeks into it. We've already got people in the hot seat. Sam Darnold's on the hot seat in Carolina. Yeah. You know, two of the guys replaced him in Miami. There's a lot of talk about Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, I think you, you, know, you look crazy. at the situation with Matt Nagy uh, in Chicago. You know, they're, they're losing, and they're trying to develop a young player. How about Brian Flores? They, yeah. they went 10 last year. They've lost six straight. Now they're calling for, for his head in Miami. So it, this is a crazy league. And it's, it's all about what have you done for me lately. It's amazing. We're only seven weeks in. We've got a number of coaches and players already on the hot seat. Okay, so how much do coaches mean when John Gruden can go away and the Raiders can rally the way they have over the last two weeks? I think uh, there's a couple things going on there. I think it speaks volumes about the job that Derek Carr has done. I think he's become the, the, the uh, leader of this football team, this leader of this organization. Rich Passaccia, their special teams coordinator, has taken over as the interim head coach. The job's done a nice job. I think Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, he's been with John Gruden. He's been with Derek for a long time, so that's been a seamless transition. Gus Bradley continues to do a good job with the defense. But keep in mind now, and I'm, I'm a, you know, obviously I played for the Raiders. I'm a Raider fan, but they beat the Broncos, who are struggling and have lost four straight, and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you know, I think it's time to pump the brakes. I'm excited that the Raiders are five and two. I'm excited that they've won two straight without John Gruden. But wait until they get into the the the, 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 the heat of the schedule here until we really find out just how good the Las Vegas Raiders are. Yeah, I'm impressed with the two wins. I'll I'll take it and run because I've bet on them in the last two <laughs> weeks as well. Uh, I may I may be swayed by my picks here. Uh, last bit of breaking news: uh, Joe Flacco has been traded to the Jets. Obviously, they lose their first round pick. Um, Obviously, they've been struggling, the Jets. What do you make of the Flacco deal from Philadelphia? Is this just insurance or someone that they can put in and not look like they're going to get run over here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they were embarrassed this past weekend by yeah. the, the Patriots. Rare, team that we see a team lose by 41 points. Zach Wilson's going to be out three or four weeks with a MCL sprain, and so I just think they're looking for a veteran quarterback that can come in. Joe Flacco has been with the organization. He knows a lot of the players. So I think at least you got a, a quarterback that can go out there and and uh, you know keep the keep the car on the tracks, you know, keep the car on the road and not steer it into the ditch. But you know, Flacco's not the same player he once was when you look at uh, what's happened yeah. to him since he went to Denver and now the Jets. But at least you have a veteran quarterback that the team has a chance to be competitive with over the next three or four weeks. Rich, always great talking football with you. I thank you for doing this. You're the best, brother. Talk to you next week. Be well. There is a little Monday afternoon quarterback with our friend, former NFL MVP, Rich Gannon. Nice to go up and down the road with him. Now, I, I pointed to the fact, Jesse Rubinoff, that I, uh, I did take the Bears, unfortunately. Uh, the logic was there. It was sound. Let, let me down a wee bit. Um, as the buck, well, the road is littered with people who bet against Tom Brady. I've said that on this show about a thousand times, oh. and I didn't take my own advice. So uh, I go one and one. Raiders uh, helped me out against the Eagles again. Rubinoff goes 2-0 and on the weekend, improving to 7-3. and So if we eliminate Kevin Mickey from the mix, I don't know if we can, but if we do, so uh, we are 18-6 and against the spread. I looked down at my Instagram in the middle of that conversation, and I saw a response uh, 
to my post about our picks this From Kevin? No. <laughs> and it simply said, well, you guys only pick two games a week. And I thought, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, real gamblers shouldn't be betting on a bunch of games. That's the way that Vegas gets you is if you bet on a ton of games because you should only bet in the ones that you're most confident on. Should like, we add, it, like, a 16 parlay next week? Is there, like... Do we need to add to the equation? Is two games enough? Producer Jay Sands, you can jump in on this. I know that you've dabbled a little bit. Jay he Sands says, says two games is perfect. He says two games is good. Are you good with two games? Like, I don't think that diminishes the record. I think that it makes it harder if you fall behind early to claw back. And this is how you make money. You don't make money on 16 parlays. No. You have one bad result, you lose. And you don't pick every game because if you bet every game... Look. You're going to lose. We're trying to be profitable here. There's juice. We're trying to be profitable right. here on Tim and Friends. And I right. will tell you, right. 18 and 6. Is profitable. What is that exactly? That's profitable. That's plus 12. There you go. That's right. a, that. Where are you getting 18 and 6 elsewhere? Winning percentage? I don't know how long it'll last, but we will ride it yes. while we can. Time for one last break. Rubinoff takes over with Last Call as we conclude another edition of Tim and Friends right here on Sportsnet 360. Limitless confidence with available, intelligent, around view monitor. Limitless possibilities in the bold and stylish Nissan Kicks. And now, during the All In Clear Out event, lease the redesigned Kicks from $49 weekly for just 39 months. What's Chris Boucher doing? As a certified poutine expert, he said he had to personally test the ingredients. Hey, Chris, what are you doing with that tater? Science. Okay. It's at 25. Mary Brown's chicken. I might not make the world safer, stronger, or better. But I might. I'm Andre DeGrasse, and I haven't stopped since 1994. Being unstoppable means never say never. And that's why I created an online store with GoDaddy. So don't stop being unstoppable, Canada. Start your website for free with GoDaddy today. Nearly all men will develop BPH. To reduce the symptoms of BPH, more urologists recommend Super Beta Prostate. Finally, less urges to urinate. Find it at these fine retailers. One special day, friends and family were invited to Montana's for a feast they'd never forget. Especially when the steak came with the sight of flowers. It's the new and exciting 888poker.net. And it's made to thrill, 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 thrill. It's made to chill. It's made to raise. It's made to amaze. amaze. It's made to, uh, it's just made to play. The new 888poker.net with lots of wicked cool stuff inside. 888poker, made to play.
CIBC, we believe the difference between having a dream and achieving your dream is finding someone who cares enough to help make it real. CIBC, ambitions made real. Monday, tip of the cap goes to who else? Tom Brady. During yesterday's win over the Bears, Brady saw a kid holding up a sign that said, and you can see it in front of you, Tom Brady helped me beat brain cancer. And as time was running out in the game, Brady went to the kid in the stands and handed him his hat, shook his hand. The kid was brought to tears. The dad was absolutely loving it all and it brought smiles to many faces watching us watching on tv and reminded us of what's important so a tip of the cap to tom brady for a couple different reasons yeah he hit 600 yeah but also what he did for that okay so we're going to talk about the 600th touchdown pass and the debacle that followed so it was with mike evans uh he's already the leader first player to reach 600 touchdown passes but uh evans gave the ball away to a fan wearing his jersey, which is a fine gesture, but Brady and the Bucks needed that ball back, so they swung a deal, and less than an hour ago, Darren Ravel gave us the details of what the deal actually was. He will receive two signed jerseys plus a helmet from Tom, a signed Mike Evans jersey plus his game cleats, a $1,000 credit to the Bucks team store, and two season tickets for the remainder of the season and next season. Wow. Is this a good deal, Tim? Let's see here. So Ravel also uh, revealed that the uh, that an auction house estimated or praised the ball's value at half a million dollars. So, so if yeah, we go, go back through what that man received in return... We might get the math here. So two signed jerseys and a helmet from Tom. If you get two signed jerseys, you could easily sell one. That's what? It's a couple, couple grand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Signed Mike Evans jersey, maybe a thousand. Game cleats. Game cleats. Uh, that's pretty cool. Maybe a thousand there. Say, say three thousand. Uh, another K at the store. So 500,000 and then two seasons tickets for the remainder of this season and next. Uh, bingo, bango, bongo. That's about five thousand, six thousand dollars. So he missed out on at least four hundred ninety thousand dollars. Basically, <laughs> oh man! But, like it's the right thing to do. That's yes. the one. Like everyone who's like we had a team meeting earlier today, and everyone was like, "I'm in, I'm in the parking lot with say. that ball." And it's like <laughs> if someone comes to you and says, "Listen, Tom Brady doesn't need any help," I guarantee you, as this story develops, there'll be more in this deal. The guy said that he would take a round of golf with Tom Brady. Did you hear this? No. So would I. Yeah. So I think it'll evolve with the story, what he ends up getting in all this. I don't think that deal is done. And I don't think that you think about that in the moment. Tom Brady wants the ball. I would panic so quickly, it's not even funny. But Mike Evans, like, what's he doing? Did he not, yeah, like, he no dropped clue. the ball, he grabbed the lot. ball, he gave the ball away. Like, think about how many times hockey players go and get the puck. Or, yeah. I mean, it happens in football, too, where they go and they remember and they get the ball. But, like, they had to be talking about the 600 touchdown pass before the game. Maybe Tom think. Brady's not that dude. Maybe. Maybe he's not that dude. Uh, okay, Jason Sudeikis was hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend, and in one of his skits, he played the devil on Weekend Update, and he definitely took time to make fun of Brady and the Houston Astros. Have a listen. 
I'm also into sports. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sports. No, I, yeah, I've been sticking my fork in sports. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you saw that the Astros won. Yeah. They yeah. shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. Please, 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 please. And, uh, you know, my boy Tom Brady's still going strong, right? <laughs> I actually keep his soul trapped in this portrait of him. <laughs> so which athlete, which athlete or coach or sports figure do you think uh, Jason Sudeikis' devil would be friends with? Uh, that's probably Nick Saban. Yeah, the, right. answer, the answer to that is probably Nick Saban. I think like a few years ago it was Lance Armstrong. Right. Oh, Lance like, I Armstrong. Think, I think really the devil and Lance Armstrong got along. They yeah. had a few drinks together on some long rides. Um, Tanya Harding, maybe. Mm. Maybe. maybe Tanya Harding would be in that group. Really good answers. We were concerned. Mm, yeah. Just thinking about the greatest, the spot, but the greatest really cheaters of all time and Nick Saban. Yeah, really good. Very good answers. <laughs> uh, okay, earlier in the show, we talked about how the Cincinnati Bengals went into Baltimore and rolled the Ravens 41-17. Losing a division battle like that may have caused Raven fans to hit the drink on Sunday, but for a certain fan, they needed a drink during the game and went as far as to climb into the Ravens' radio broadcast booth during the game to get one. What? Have a listen. Huh? Tyler Boyd has it for a short gain out to the 34-yard line. Again, impressive coverage by what, what, Anthony Avery. What are you Avery. doing? What are you doing? If you were listening, you heard Femi say, what are you doing? What are you doing? He was not talking to the players or the coaches. We actually had a fan who was trying to climb into the broadcast booth. She said, I'm a veteran and I'm looking for a drink. Yeah, I don't serve uh, drinks at the game. I might make some cocktails at home, but this is not the right time or place. You just <laughs> never know what's going to pop up or who's going to show up on game day. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a little dangerous. Uh, but Is that you... like Femi? I'm, I'm guessing that Femi Iambadejo, who yeah. used to play for the yeah, Ravens, yeah, yeah. was a, like a big dude. Like, wouldn't you... Like just climbing into the press box? <laughs> insane. Uh, what drink do you... What's your drink of choice when you're watching sports? That's that's a loaded question. Like where? What are we talking about? Like like on the couch. On the couch. Yeah. At home. Yes, at home. I'm I'm basically a beer guy. Like, are we talking days? Are we talking football? Are we talking nights? Okay, let's let's go football. Let's go football. Are we talking backyard? Are we talking cottage? Like, where are we, Jesse? I need to know when we're talking alcohol. We're talking football. Go go Sunday on the couch. Got red zone on. Ah, that's just like. If I, I don't have pop very much, I, I love popping a bag of chips on a Sunday afternoon. I'll do that. That's enough for me. Do you think it gets tougher to drink beer in the winter? Yeah, I think it's like I'm more of a scotch drinker in the winter than I am a beer. But like baseball game, mid-evening, that's beer. Love that. Love that. Yeah. All right, let's go to soccer. And uh, Canada's Olympic champs made their long away to return to home soil on Saturday. The celebration tour off to a good start in Ottawa. Canada's women beating New Zealand 5-1 in front of their fans. It was the first match for Canada since beating Sweden for gold at the Summer Olympics. And it had been over 29 months since the team last played a game on home soil. Olympic gold or World Cup title? Which would you rather have? What a question. In men's soccer, it's obvious it is the World Cup because the Olympics doesn't mean as much, but it is the exact same tournament for the women's in the Olympics and the World Cup. Uh, I think it's dead even. In fact, the, the history really isn't there in the World Cup like it is on the men's side. 
So I, I think that though, I think the Olympic gold, and I'm not just saying this because Canada won, I feel like that's kind of like men's ice hockey and women's ice hockey, where it means more to a lot of players than any World Cup could ever mean. I, I'm going with the women, it's gold, Olympics, over the, uh, the FIFA World Cup. Uh, shout out to the women, back to the winning ways. What's your drink of choice on the day the men qualified for the World Cup. Again, Celebratory drink. Afternoon. Oh, that's... that's yeah. Because that's going to be a party, right? Yeah, we're going to get the Remy in Champagne, the system. Champagne, yeah. in studio maybe. And when the Remy's in the system, yeah. ain't no telling. Mm, there you go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, that does it for us in just in time because the next lyric was probably a little <laughs> offside. Another reminder that we've got three NHL games coming up, seven Eastern. It's Leafs, Canes, and Sportsnet East, Ontario, and Pacific. Flames and Rangers, Caps, Sands. We'll talk to you tomorrow.